baseball season is right around the corner. And each week, Baseball Perspectives brings you a suite of podcasts to cover the sport from all angles. Editor-in-Chief Craig Goldstein is joined twice a week by Bradford William Davis and Emma Bachelieri, covering five mostly baseball topics on our flagship show, Five and Dive. If you are a fantasy baseball player, whether redraft or dynasty, roto or head-to-head, the BP Fantasy team has you covered with Flags Fly Forever, and there is no off-season. Stephen Goldman's Infinite Inning combines stories from baseball history and interviews with the writers of today. And our prospect podcast, Three Quarters Delivery, takes a deep dive into our prospect team's evaluation process. Just search for the Baseball Prospectus Podcast Network wherever you get your podcasts. Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. And man. that's remarkable. Alex, when the news broke that Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez were going through a rough patch, some news reports said that they were breaking off their two-year engagement. Others said that they're, quote, working through some stuff. No, we're all working through some stuff. When that news broke, many of our listeners were like, okay, we need a full forensic breakdown of this on Tipping Pitches. And I'll just say, I don't want to pry. I want to let those two crazy kids work it out. But if they can't make it work, I don't know. I've lost a little faith. How can we make it work? How can anyone make it work if they can't make it work? I know. This is something I was talking about with some friends. Was sick and I, <laughs> so I, I feel like in. I feel like I I and or we thought that they were together for a lot longer than they actually were. Like it's been a few years. But I don't know, something about like A-Rod and J-Lo, it seems like, no, it's always been J-Rod, yeah. A-Lo. You know, like... Yeah, I, definitely, like you kind of, I definitely would not have believed you if you would have said that they got together while we were already doing this podcast. Right, And yes. they broke up while we're still <laughs> doing this podcast. Like, that definitely would have been a shock to my system. Mm-hmm. I don't want a forensic breakdown of what went wrong in their relationship. Instead from you, what I want is a forensic breakdown of what this means for Alex Rodriguez's YouTube channel. I am actually really curious because JLo was a really big part of that. Um, In many on, videos, on on screen talent, he would maybe, address her as if she were the one with the camera holding the camera. Right? Maybe the 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 producer, the definitely an filmmaker, EP. definitely an EP. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's really unclear to me, you know. I'm and I'm wondering if maybe uh, if maybe A Rod was spending a little too much time with his other girlfriend slam corp um and if that if that maybe caused a bit of a rift in their relationship he was just acquiring too many other companies and taking in, them in, public you know it's tough when you're in love with the deals right? yeah when the deal flow is so exorbitant you don't leave enough time for anything else in your life this is an uh, issue that you and i have too much deal flow Right, we do have too much deal flow. It's the reason yeah. that we only do one podcast a week. Like, if we didn't have so much deal flow, like we'd be able to do two, three, maybe four pods a week. <laughs> On a somewhat serious note, not exact, but like, 
Well, first of all, my when I saw this break, I I I wanted to to clown it, and then was also like, "Damn, they have four kids. This sucks objectively. Yeah, not not fun. So you know, heart goes out to them. Her DMs are open. Too far did a rod and jlo's kids if you need to chat um no nope i don't feel qualified <laughs> i don't even i thought you were talking about our dms are open to a rod and jlo as like marriage counseling oh well i mean that a rod and jlo come on tipping pitches to do marriage counseling <laughs> so wait um, so we have asks out to rob manfred bernie sanders alex rodriguez and jlo for the specific purpose of marriage counseling anyone i'm missing i mean we still have an open invite to Tebow, even though he's retired, oh, right? Like, true. Yeah, yeah. He'd never said no, so he, he did never. He never turned us down. Um, I think Barry Zito is the only hard no we've gotten. Um, the, my other uh, thought on this is that, and I, I think this is not novel, but J Lo is far too good for him. Um, I was for you know whatever reason going back through a rod's youtube channel and kind of seeing some of the content that they have created together and i came across a video back from october where they chatted with uh with one one joe biden our current president current commander in chief and his wife dr jill dr j um and that's fake dr jill to you (laughs) seeing the way that like a-Rod and J-Lo, like, both, like, talked and, like, how much different they were. Like, J-Lo, Jen- I feel weird. I'm, I've said J-Lo and A-Rod so much, that, like, they've lost all meaning. Jennifer, Miss Lopez, um, Lo- yeah. w- was having a very intelligent discussion about, like, how the Latino community has been hurt by COVID and how there's such a strong culture there and she wants to make sure it's represented um, in politics going forward. A-Rod was quoting Coach K and saying, there's <laughs> no, it's not about red and blue. It's about being an American. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, Is that wow. a Coach K quote? Did he, did he patent that one? <laughs> <laughs> Coach K is the only person who was ever like, let's reach across the aisle. Yes, literally. He, said, he actually said it and then John McCain was like, yeah, I'm going to become the Maverick. <laughs> so anyway i mean i would love to know what the two of them talk about just like when they're hanging out together yeah i would love to know too the mystery remains uh i guess page six will find out before us though i'm sure they will i'm yeah. pissed we didn't break this one god i know uh okay we have a conversation coming up with the yankees super fan uh filmmaker uh incredibly smart thinker about baseball randy wilkins uh that's coming up later in the podcast but before we get to that i am bobby wagner i'm alex basley and you are listening to tipping pitches alex we're continuing our season preview series with randy what would you do with a magic wand in your first 100 days as baseball commissioner uh if you missed last week an incredible conversation with stand-up comedian, host of the Three Swings baseball podcast, Rhea Butcher, favorite of ours to talk to here on Tipping Pitches. Um, before we bring Randy in, really quickly, the only thing that really happened in the last week, other than more spring training news, uh, is that MLB announced that they are going to make some more relatively radical changes to the minor league 
rule book, I guess you could say. Uh, we'll probably talk about this more throughout the season, like as we see how it sort of unfolds and whether it seems like MLB wants to. I mean, it, it does seem like they're using this as a trial balloon again, as they have with minor league leagues in the past in sort of crass ways. But we'll see if this gets any real traction and whether MLB will actually try to bring this to the major league level. Uh, so they're putting a pitch clock in low A. They are instituting a step-off rule in high A where to make a pickoff attempt, you have to have your back foot off the rubber. They're probably the most explosive of all of them is that they are requiring that you have four infielders with their feet positioned in the dirt at the beginning of a play, essentially banning the overshift where you have a player in shallow right field as a way of handling a left-handed pull hitter. Uh, They're making bases bigger to try to for safety reasons and also to uh, try to help steals because it makes the distance between bases slightly shorter and then the final thing which they're trying to incentivize more steals which I want to talk to you about briefly today before we bring Randy in because I'm intrigued about it and I actually think that I like it which is weird admitting that I like something that probably came from on high from Rob Manfred (laughs) is they're limiting pickoff attempts to two per plate appearance in all of low A. So when I say this to you and I tell you that I like it, I think. What do you, what do you feel? What do you think about it? Yeah, well, there's again, as you mentioned, we'll talk about this at length more. I think a, a, a pitch clock is sure fine whatever. I robot umps is a larger discussion. Making the bases bigger. Yeah, okay, reasonable. I'm about we'll be it. talking Anyth- to Joe West in the next couple months about robot umps. Ex- exactly. We've already get, booked him. Get his yeah, take. We, we have a take. Mm-hmm. The the pickoffs one's bad. It's not a good idea. Oh no! Like, it just is this going to become Jersey Jersey Gate two I hope we have some sort of resolution with this one because I mean, you and I were were discussing briefly before we got on here and started recording and talked about how this will likely r- r- swing the pendulum in favor of base runners to a crazy degree. Um, if you start limiting the amount of pickoffs, if you run out of pickoff moves, then runners start to have kind of free reign over at first base of how big of a lead they can take, how much they can dance around over there. Not to mention, it just kind of feels like the kind of thing that will be really tough to keep track of. Like, there's going to be so much of just kind of trying to, oh, have you done one pickoff? In this bit or two pickoffs, do you? Yeah, the pitcher like, has what, enough what, to think about. What like, qualifies as a, as a pickoff? Like, I mean, and they're they're saying then I think it right if you if you step off, off at all, you, right? And if you pick off once you have exhausted your numbers of moves, it's a balk, and the runner automatically moves over. So, like, right. I understand what they're trying to incentivize is a little more strategy on the pitcher's part so that you don't get like seven pickoffs in a row which i know irks many baseball fans so rare but, though but i it's very rare and really i don't care um but this just feels like i i don't know you now the runner has all the advantage here right yes. and they're like a bunch of like 
there are a bunch of like exceptions and and kind of like slight adjustments that are made. Like I don't even know, I don't even know the 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 depths of all these details, and I kind of don't want to know because I just doesn't. It seems like a largely ill advised move to me. But I am curious to hear why you're in favor of this. It can't be the only thing that you change because of what you said. Like if you make this rule, then you have to put a limit on how big of a lead a runner is allowed to take. Like there has to be a line on the base path that the runner cannot lead past. Otherwise, it's a free steal. Like I'm trying to imagine Ricky Henderson with this rule. <laughs> That's like a he's stealing second and third every single time he gets on first. Now he did that most of the time anyway, but like you are and I hate when we're all like this changes the competitive integrity of the history of the rule books or whatever. But this rule would make stolen bases a different thing. Like it, it's not the same as when Ricky Henderson was stealing as many bases as he was because he had to deal with the pitcher coming whenever the pitcher wanted to. And if he could coax two pickoff moves out of a pitcher, then he just stole the base for free. There's absolutely no way to stop him from stealing the base. It's just not the math just doesn't work out. He's too fast. And there are plenty of players who are fast enough that they could guarantee themselves a stolen base if they've exhausted the pitcher's pickoff attempts. So you'd have to limit how far you can actually lead. So, but but wouldn't that start to negate some of the reason that the rule is implemented in the first place? Because yeah. if it, because you're then still trying to place some sort of limits on players, and you're setting the you're you're removing any of the competitive cat and mouse game element that goes on at first right where the the hitter takes a bit of a or the runner takes a lead pitcher throws over the runner takes a smaller league it's kind of this back and forth right if you're just i mean you don't even need pickoffs at that point if you're just going to say the runners can stand six feet from the bag and everyone just stands there then that's it right i think if they use this as the as an excuse like if they use this as the only thing that they're doing to incentivize base stealing then I think it's a failure because there are plenty of other things that you can do to incentivize base stealing, like let athletic players just try to steal bases. We forget sometimes that like it's the team's fault that they're not stealing. I think the players would want to try. So it goes way beyond just tweaking rules here and there to incentivize people to steal more bases because it might be a slightly higher percentage. It's like you have to incentivize the type of person who wants to steal a base to actually feel free to steal the base by not making every single element of your game at every developmental level about perfection and efficiency. Because then we lose a little bit of like the heart and soul of the game that we're definitely going to get into a conversation with Randy later on in this episode, and he says very eloquently. Right. I, I mean, the problem, stolen bases didn't decline because players stopped knowing how to steal bases, right? It was because, like you said, teams started to disincentivize that sort of thing. So this feels like a weird response. I just want to say before we move on from this that I the, the whole using the minor leagues as like a laboratory for your new ideas it kind of kind of stinks. If I'm going to like the fact that you have different rules at every single level, I think is a real tipping of hands that a majority of the players down there largely just exist as I don't know, 
people to be experimented upon. Like, you know that a majority of these players aren't going to make it to the major leagues anyways. And so the the competition level doesn't necessarily matter. The quote-unquote integrity of the game doesn't matter. Uh, I don't know. It feels a little slimy to me. And I understand that, like, there's got to be some testing of this sort of thing. Like, I think it would be awesome if you're like, hey, we have one or two rules that we really would like to test out. Let's do it at AAA so that players kind of ease into it and they're not. it's not thrown at them at the major league level or whatever. I, I don't know. It makes me feel a little, a little slimy. I think that's way more true for something like when they force the Atlantic League players like weeks before the season to like pitch on a further mound. Like that's like a real injury concern. And then like you're literally being experimented on and you your career might be over because of it if you have to get Tommy John and you can't come back from it. Like that I felt a little bit worse about that. But for this, I mean, most of these are minor rules. I will say I hear your argument for something like the defensive positioning restriction because that is very that's pretty drastic and like but for the step off rules and the pickoff rules i, I don't i think it's fine like i mean I, yeah but I, I mean not to be like slippery slope but also wow like, I now think you want to support the slippery slope <laughs> argument wow i mean it literally is what it is though right like i mean i think it's just further evidence that major league baseball the institution sees the minor leagues as a tool and not actually a collection of like baseball teams who are still like filled with human beings like trying to make a living you know like if you're going to if the minor leagues are the foundation for what happens in the major leagues like they if these are like scientists effectively the first baseman the pitcher whatever like pay them like that at least right like that's true i mean well yeah i mean regardless (laughs) (laughs) um no, I think that we should experiment on them and change as many rules as we can. Two strikes is a strikeout now, and we should actually not pay them any money at all. It should be internships, unpaid internships. Let's use the minor leagues to bring back steroids. You know, like if we're literally just using them as lab rats, like <laughs> let's give everyone in low A steroids and just fucking see what happens. I tell you, more people would watch. They actually would. More money. More money, baby. Print that money. Um, okay. Let's bring in Randy Wilkins uh, for our season preview. Hey, Mark, should I tell people about our podcast? Here, Andy. Baseball Beyond Batting Average is an introduction to advanced baseball stats brought to you by two middle school math teachers. Offensively, Kirby Puckett was Von Hayes with less speed in 1989. Yeah, we love to learn about sport through the lens of advanced stats, but we also appreciate the stories behind those numbers. Bill Bergen was the worst hitter in baseball history. Okay, in each episode, we share what we've discovered through researching different topics, whether it be a stat, a player, a position, a season, or a team. Greg Vaughn is the fourth best designated hitter the Brewers have ever had. Yeah, anything is fair game, as long as it can be measured by a Mike Norris absolutely deserved the 1980 American League Cy Young Award. Okay, there's an episode for everything, and if there's not an episode for the topic you want, we'll make it for you. So subscribe on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever app you use. Listen to the episodes and play along with our stat guessing game that is sweeping the internet. Roll the stat. So you'll hear us next time. Because it's a podcast. We talk about Garvey. Okay, Bobby, we are back. Part two of our season preview series that is... 
actually doing very little to preview the upcoming season. But you're not you going to learn anything gotta, about the 2021 baseball season. From <laughs> we got to remain on brand here. <laughs> uh, we're joined by Randy Wilkins. He's a filmmaker. He's a writer at Views from 314 feet. He's an extremely online Yankees fan. Randy, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very online about the Yankees. <laughs> hey, you got to be online about something. So I chose the Yankees instead of my uh, profession so I don't get blacklisted for saying something crazy. <laughs> That's good. Just channel it all into the Yankees because like, you, I feel like you have, you know, like diplomatic immunity. It's like fanhood immunity when you're talking about the Yankees because Yankees fans are not reasonable at all. They're not reasonable. Not at all. No. And I think... Uh, I think people have come to expect Yankees fans to not be reasonable. So, you know, just you just kind of push the limits as far as you can and see where you end up. <laughs> it's uh, like performance art a little bit, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, you're almost uh, playing up the uh, the expectations that people have and, and seeing how far you can satisfy them or validate them for other people. So you're not even doing it for yourself. You're doing it for others. Before we before we do our actual the segment that we brought you on for, what would you do in your first hundred days as commissioner if you could wave a magic wand, which is this you know a, a typical bullshit tipping pitches high concept segment? But do uh, you want you want to talk a little shit about the Yankees? You want to talk about the off season? Anything? How you've been consuming baseball this past few months? Uh, I'm feeling really arrogant about the Yankees. I'm, I'm feeling good. Good. Uh, I've been trying to figure out who the main threats are to the Yankees winning a pennant and it's it's hard for me to come up with somebody who's a real a real real threat like uh like the Astros for the last couple of years uh I, I I know people talk about the White Sox but I'm not even sure they're the best team in their division the Rays volunteer to get worse in my opinion and the Blue Jays aren't there yet so there's I don't know I'm, I'm feeling very arrogant I'm feeling very uh cocky about the Yankees so I'm I'm happy with what they did in the offseason I know that people are always going to harp back on the rotation health and guys staying healthy that doesn't feel like a Yankee centric thing like the the guys that they brought in were hurt on other teams it's just that's baseball that's sports so I'm not really gonna get all crazy about Kluber and Tyon having injuries I mean it you know it might work out you know sometimes you have to be hopeful and positive instead of being negative right from jump. So I'm choosing to go the positive route and I, uh, I feel good about them. I mean, I, I think that they were, they made smart moves and yeah, I'm feeling good. I feel like the Yankees are a team that I kind of, I mean, I'm an A's fan, so I don't watch a ton of like, yeah, the AL, words hopeful AL and optimism didn't really land for him. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like I, the Yankees are obviously in my consciousness, but I'm not watching, you know, 162 games of them or whatever. But every time I go and like look at their lineup or just their roster, I like kind of forget how stacked they are. I'm like, oh yeah, their like seven hole hitter is probably a three hole hitter on a majority of the rest of the teams of baseball, you know? That rotation, like you said, problems that it might have, you still have pitchers who at some point in the last three or four years were at the top of their field. And like that, that can't hurt, right? No, and I think, especially with Yankees fans, I totally understand why Yankees fans get a lot of uh, criticism thrown their way and a lot of flack because... They complain about everything, and I'm not really sure why they're complaining about stuff. You know, they they have an incredibly deep, talented roster, and I think because they haven't won a title yet, 
people are looking for ways to criticize and say it's a failure and everybody wants to be George Steinbrenner. So I think it's important to look beyond that and really identify all the talent that's there. And, you know, they're really good. I mean, I, I, I'm, it's, it's almost you have to convince the Yankees fans of that more than non-Yankees fans at this point. And, you know, having the blog, we come across a lot of people that are just nitpicking all the time about this team. And it's just you have to remind them that they're really good, that the players that they have, a lot of other teams would love to have on their team. And they're all together. So relax, you know, yeah, chill we're, out. They're good. We're starting from a good spot here. Um, so you mentioned the blog, Views from 314 Feet. Alex mentioned the blog. And you also, you guys also do a podcast. So when you're like approaching your content, like what people want to write about, like, are you actively like engaging with that uh, aspect of Yankees fandom where like they're being unreasonable? And are you trying to like go against that and like be optimistic? Or is it just like people are writing about, just whatever they feel like writing about that week. It's a combination of all of that. I, I think I can't speak for Bobby and Matt and Derek and our new writers, but for me, I engage that part of Yankees fandom online more than in my writing. I think I might've written one or two pieces where it was getting so ridiculous that I, I felt the need to respond in a, <laughs> in an actual thought out post. But I think we do that by just focusing on, people's production and their performance and saying that their performance leads to this conclusion about their contributions to the team. So it doesn't have to be necessarily uh, a direct response to that part of Yankees fandom, but I think it engages it just by speaking about what the performance tells us, you know? So um, I think we talk about it amongst ourselves, but I don't think it always shows up in the actual writing for the site. So I, because I, I think, you're, you kind of run into a problem of letting a minority of the fan base, or maybe it's larger than a minority, kind of dictating how you see things and how you want to, what you want to talk about. So it's in the back of our minds, but it doesn't really dictate um, how we go about seeing things. You know, I, I respect that perspective, um, you know, stats, facts, backing, backing up your perspectives. Um <laughs> Isn't it much more fun to just like, you know, throw all of that to the wind, like uh, talk about how Gary Sanchez hot dogs it too much on the field <laughs> and, you know, how he how he dropped the ball in the last game and therefore he's like the worst catcher in the league. Because I feel like it's just the two dichotomies. You got to go <laughs> one or the other. Yeah, I mean, out of the entire group, I'm definitely like the least analytically inclined one and the one that will just talk about probably narratives, but I try to be smart about it. I try not yeah. to go into the easy, low-hanging fruit. Gary, you know, I could always talk about him being lazy and out of shape and you know, <laughs> all those great coded words when it comes to Gary Sanchez, but uh, I have enough willpower to stay away from that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's a nice balance. You know, you could talk about data and analytics until that, you know, the sun comes down, but at some point it, there's things that go beyond that. And I, for me, I try to find that sweet spot. And as a filmmaker and a creative, I think I lean more towards the the story side of things than necessarily always yeah. saying, you know, like somebody's F war is this. So therefore he's good or not good. You know, it's just I let everybody else do that. And I kind of try to find a sweet spot where 
I can incorporate it, but also talk about things that go beyond just numbers. Yeah. Alex is notorious for only wanting to talk about FIP. Every time we get on this podcast, Alex is like, I, I will only talk about FIP. I don't want to talk about anything. I don't want to make jokes. It's just FIP, you know? FIP is good. You know, FIP is good. Sometimes, you know, you look at so many stats, you forget what the hell you wanted to talk about in the first place. <laughs> you know, it's like so many numbers and you're just like, why am I looking at this in the first place? I have no idea why I came here. I, now, now I'm lost. Long-time listeners know I'm just playing around. Alex has never said FIP on this podcast in the entire history of in this entire four years. Um, how, how do you consume the rest of the league, Randy? Because I'm always so curious with like someone who's such a big fan of one team. Like, What is your sort of plan of action for like how you watch other teams, like how you engage with other stars on, on other teams? And especially during the offseason when like there's, there's less cause for tuning in to like, what the you know, Orioles are doing or what the... I don't know, Mariners are doing, although I guess the Mariners were in the headlines a lot in the last couple of weeks, but for different reasons. But what is your engagement like with the the rest of the league? What's that relationship like? I try to be as engaged as possible. I think it helps that over the last year, I've been able to follow and connect with people from various fan bases. So I have a much better understanding of how each team is operating, what their issues are, what what are positive things with them, what they're who who are on the horizon for certain teams and how they're going about building their team. So I think Twitter is one, one access point for me, especially during the off season. There's so many people that I have relationships with now online that I have a much better understanding of how many teams are working and um, what the storylines are with those teams. But during the season, I try to watch as many games as possible. I mean, the, the Yankees are the priority, but I try to watch as many games as possible. And I sometimes I, I do it just based off of interesting matchups. Like, I'm not sure I want to watch the Reds and the Royals in an interleague clash of Titans. But, you know, I definitely want to see the Dodgers and the Padres. Like, I think there's certain, mat, like, AL Central matchups. I would want to see, like, uh, Chicago and Minnesota. I try to be conscious of important games no matter where they are in the calendar so I have an understanding of how teams are playing who are the guys that are playing well who who isn't just so I have a better understanding of of what's happening in the league because I I love baseball I mean it's not just the Yankees I mean I just love baseball I played baseball so uh, it's not hard for me to just focus in on the sport once they get going so I I just try to consume as many games as as I can well that is I'm, I'm glad you said that because for the for the next uh, half hour we're going to talk about uh, what we want to change about baseball. So it's good to have that level setting. We're coming into it. You love this. It's good. This all comes from a place of love. Um, but there are a lot of things wrong with it too, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> there's there's no shortage of that. So um, so we brought you on, and we we, we already kind of asked you this. Um, off air to, to start thinking about some of these ideas of, okay, you just got made commissioner first hundred days. What, uh, what would you, what would you prioritize? What would you kind of, kind of want to get done? And so I want to, uh, I want to hand the floor over to you to, um, to maybe talk about what, what you started thinking about when you heard that question, where you landed. Um, yeah, I take it away. So my first thought has gone to my most extreme thought, which is just make it a true free 
market for players. Like abolish the draft, abolish arbitration, make it a true free market job like every other job in the world or most jobs. Let's, you know, let's, some things, you know, have their own issues. But for me, I would, I, I would, I would go extreme. So I would remove the draft, uh, arbitration, all that stuff. I would just make it a free market where players could choose the teams and franchises that they wanted to join and then go through the minor league system. And then uh, you could do the, the restricted free agency thing if you wanted to have some kind of control. So players still have, I'm sorry, teams still have some contractual obligations from players. Yeah. But for me, the draft is one of the most exploitive things I've ever seen in commercial business. Like, I, I just I just don't understand how nobody has challenged this idea in any sport across the board. Yeah. Um, I, I can choose where I want to work and who I want to work with. Uh, and we're talking about the elite of the elite for their industry. And they have no control over where they can go. And then if they do try to exert some kind of leverage, they're always painted as a bad guy or the agents are a bad person. Um, I just think it's totally unfair and sets things up for a very exploitive relationship that lasts for a very long time. And it, it just feels like something that needs to be abolished. I know that we always talk about the arbitration system and I agree with that, but I think it starts with the draft. And if we are to keep the draft, this is another extreme thing, reverse the order. I don't understand why a team like the Orioles are constantly rewarded for purposely being terrible or the pirates being purposely terrible just to get draft picks. Like, why are we rewarding that? The Dodgers should get the first pick as far as I'm concerned. Like they, they built out a system where they're successful, some illegal international things, (laughs) you know, to the side, Um, put that to the side, but I think teams that and franchises that are successful should be continued to be rewarded for being successful. And I never understood why a team like the Pirates, who intentionally are saving money, getting rid of good players, and just going through this cycle where, you know, the, the period of success for them was almost a bad thing in their mind. It went right back to their modus operandi they shouldn't get the top draft pick. I mean, you know, to me, a lot of this stems from the draft and then like trickles down to everything else. So for me, I would either abolish it altogether or I would um, flip the order. And that for me, I think that that is one way to address competitive integrity because now there really is no reward for being terrible in the development side. And I think that there are other ways to address it, but we rarely talk about the draft in baseball. And I think that that it starts there and then it kind of just mushrooms into other things. I like how your, your compromise pick is to completely flip the order of the draft. Like, no, bro, you start all the way. Let's just get rid of it entirely. And then the compromise with the the Rob Manfred types is we'll just flip the order entirely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they would never do it. No, of course. They would never get rid of the draft for obvious reasons. So I acknowledge that I would do something that would, in reality, never happen, never be considered. So I feel like if the issue is competitive integrity on a much grander scale in the game, there's so much focus on arbitration and 
luxury tax and caps and all these other things, but we don't actually talk about the draft picks that are involved, especially now with less, less rounds, um, less minor league affiliates, all of those things. It just feels like there's even less impetus for some of these teams to really go for it, you know, because yeah. they're just going to rack up cheap labor through the draft. And there you have access. These bad teams have access to the best players. And to me, that shouldn't happen. I mean, that's, that's counterintuitive to me. Yeah, it's, you know, Alex and I talk a ton about arbitration. We talk a ton about the labor landscape at the MLB level. And I think that, like, you know, while having those conversations, like, we're coming to it from a sort of tacit understanding of, like, the first step of that is the draft. Like, these guys don't get to choose what organization they go to. And sometimes they go to an organization that they have a very positive relationship with. And sometimes they go to an organization that is like more than happy to exploit them, take them to arbitration every single year to try to save $700,000 for a billion dollar corporation. Like all of these things that we talk about till we're blue in the face, but you're totally right in that not a lot of people talk about the draft and the draft being the first chapter in a guy going to the minor leagues and being exploited paid below livable wage paid below you know minimum wage because of the antitrust exemption and all of that stuff and uh yeah abolish the draft i'm down these are decisions being made by like 18 19 20 year olds right who are like in an incredibly vulnerable position in their lives i mean obviously a lot of the top draft picks like they're going to be okay. You're going to get that two, three, four million dollar signing bonus. But especially when you start to like get past the first and second rounds, there are a lot of guys in there, right? Who have really no choice. They're like, sure, I'll get, I'll take the 20 K and, and go, go start out in low A where, yeah, you're paying me the equivalent of like $7 an hour or something like that. Because what's my, what's my other choice? Right. There, and there is none. Yeah. Right. And it's, I feel like it's even worse now with the draft slots. You know, some guys will be drafted for the sole reason that they're cheaper than another guy that a team wants who's going to cost more. So the teams are exploiting the loopholes at the expense of a, of a young man that just wants to play professional baseball. You know what I mean? Like there's so many layers of exploitation layered in the, it, that's present in the draft that it, it just feels that that is one area that needs to be addressed more than it is. And I don't think the, the major league baseball players association helps out in that scenario either. I think that they contribute to the exploitation because of this longstanding tradition, I guess of, you know, if I went through it, then you have to go through it instead of realizing that it's not healthy for the sport to allow these practices to continue. So I don't, I don't know. It's just the draft bothers me. The, the draft has always bothered me. Um, and I, I think that it's less in baseball than other sports where, say, in football, you have undrafted free agents that still have a chance to make the team and earn a living and actually have more control over their, their workplace than drafted guys, despite not being as talented or have warts or whatever. And that doesn't really happen in baseball. I mean, I know that there's some guys, but it, that's not common like it is in, in basketball and the NFL. So I don't know. The, the, the draft has always been a problem for me. 
Well, it it gets incredibly convoluted, and like you alluded to the fact that some players are able to kind of control their destiny a little more by if you're like a t- if you're like a first round talent and you have an offer from let's say like Virginia to go to college, like you can basically choose what team you want to play for because you can threaten to just go to college instead, and then they've wasted a draft pick on you and they don't get that back. Like that's what happened to the A's with Kyler Murray. They drafted him, he decided to play football, and they didn't get that draft pick back. Like they didn't get to repick for Kyler Murray's spot. So that's the threat to the team side. But most guys don't have that protection. And most guys end up as just like fate, like nameless minor leaguers that most of us don't know until they hit the major league roster because there's just so many players in a farm system to keep track of that you can only really have the brain space to keep track of your own team. And I do think that something that you brought up about the Players Association is really interesting because the Players Association doesn't protect minor leaguers like they can't protect minor leaguers they're not members of the players association until they get called up to a 40 man like until they get called up to the league first so a lot of these guys who are like the future value of a team are not protected union members and i feel like you'd have a much clearer case to include every minor league player if you abolish the draft because then those minor league players have way more power over the clubs because they can say i'm just not going to play for you it's it's just a much clearer like labor case for them to be part of the players association at that point because they they basically are you know autonomous free agents who get to do what they want and choose what team they play for yeah i mean it, there are a lot of levels to it you know and and also i i think it also starts to creep into socioeconomic situations you know we we talk about um the dearth of black baseball players I think the draft and access to elite college programs plays a role in all of that. And now that there are less rounds, I I, I just think that the draft just impacts in so many ways. And you really could have a discussion just on the socioeconomic side about it. You know, if you're Jack Leiter, you can afford to say, well, I can go to the Yankees or I could go to Vanderbilt. I come from... uh, a privileged family, an accomplished family. I, I really can't afford to go one way or the other because I don't need the money. You know, somebody like Garrett Cole coming from a pretty well-to-do family, I could go to the Yankees out of high school or I can afford to go to UCLA because I'm in a strong financial situation. You have somebody that's from a low-income neighborhood who really, you know, can benefit from from making money right away regardless of how much it is versus going to college with a scholarship you know now i might be more inclined to just take take the check now because my family could use it you know and now i'm i've entered this exploitive uh process when if i went to college maybe i end up like a garrett cole or jack Leiter, where i'm drafted say whatever pick in the first round or later in the draft and then i become a top 10 pick and i've already lost up lost out on future earnings. You know, it's, it, it just feels like it's not fair. It's not level. It's totally to the benefit of the franchises and not to the players. And I think that if you're somebody like a Jack Leiter, um, he's talented enough where it doesn't really matter where he gets picked. You know, he's he, the Yankees. Somebody would have picked him earlier in the draft last year if they knew that he was going to sign. You know, like he's just a guaranteed top talent pick. So he's, he's a unicorn, a Garrett Cole's a, uni- a unicorn. You know, you have those special players like we've mentioned, but 
I don't know. It, 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 it just spreads into a lot of different things that, that to me just point to it being bad process that really should just be reconsidered. It won't, but it should be. I'm also trying to reimagine like what draft night would look like, you know, if we, um, if we abolish the draft or at least kind of like reverse how it worked, like let's get all the owners sitting in a room together and like Rob Manfred comes up to the, to the mic and is like, and in the first pick, you know, uh, Jack Leiter chooses to go to the Yankees. And then, you know, you see the Steinbrenners jump up because, (laughs) because they're the ones that are benefiting from this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and of course, you get you could put some rules in place. I mean, it doesn't have to be like total anarchy. I mean, you could, you know, you can have organization to it. You can have rules in place, but it just feels like both the order and the mere existence of it doesn't necessarily help the game, or it's not doing what it's intended to do. Yeah. So, so um, you know, if you. You know, it's a wish list. So I'm I'm pushing I'm pushing it chips in the middle of the table, just like let's go crazy. It's know, a magic like, wand. It doesn't run out of energy. Yeah. You know, like you yeah, got Yeah, I mean it. that's you know. But even then, like just in reality, I feel like the, the draft needs to be reevaluated beyond just cutting down the rounds. Yeah, yeah. Um the last thing I'll say about the draft is for all of the reasons that you outlined, because it doesn't appeal to every type of person from every type of socioeconomic background is that we're just not creating the best baseball players that we could, like, countrywide. We're losing out on so many good baseball players because we're saying, make this choice based on your economic prospects versus make this choice best based on what's actually going to be best for your baseball development. If it's best for someone's, for, you know, player A's baseball development to go to UCLA, then they should go to UCLA. They shouldn't enter into the draft and get drafted and accept it just because they need the money, you know, three years earlier, that they need the money for their family or whatever, um, or they think that they're going to get like a signing bonus and they don't end up getting the signing bonus that they thought they were going to get from the draft. And if player B, it's best for their development to go to the Yankees because they think that like, you know, they're already a polished player coming out of high school, then that's great. Then they should go there, but they shouldn't be making the decision based on like, whether they want to be exploited by one franchises versus the other, or like whether they uh, can afford to go to college and want the college experience. Like there's so many complicating factors. And I always come back to this feeling, but like if you just looked at baseball, like if someone came down from Mars and looked at baseball and how we run it in this country, they'd be like, none of this makes any sense at all on any levels. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I understand why, like, there's a professional development system. Like I, I think the minor league system is important and needed. Um, the financial aspect of it should obviously change, but you know, baseball is different from the other or major league baseball is different from the other leagues because of the minors, you know, that's almost like a necessary process to go through that doesn't guarantee any success or um, prosperity at the end of the process. So it just feels doubly difficult to make these decisions regarding the draft. And the the most you can get out of that decision is going through this painful process of being a minor leaguer. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's difficult. I mean, if Kyler, I'm a 49ers fan, I would have loved it if Kyler Murray was on a different team in the NFL or just went to the A's and played baseball. 
but I totally understood why he did it and felt like he made the right decision. I mean, it, it just felt like a no brainer. They could have fast tracked him. They could have done all these things, but he was going to end up in the minors regardless. Yeah. So, you know, you, you miss out on good players that way. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of, that's what you have to deal with. He was going to be in PB and J's and Visalia. And now he's like on the <laughs> yeah. cover of Madden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if he had a good coach, he'd be in the playoffs. So, you know, Let's go. Go get Cliff Kingsbury here on Tipping Pitches. <laughs> Good old Cliff. At least he has a nice house. He has a great house. <laughs> so. um, okay, so abolish the draft. We're on board. Is, yeah. there, is there anything else that you, you were like, okay, second, third, fourth on the list? It doesn't have to be fully fleshed out. Um, you yeah, can just, get, if you, you got a throw some shit out there. Yeah, exactly. You abolish the well, draft in the first week. You know, you got yeah. 93 days to work with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get rid of blackouts. Like the TV yeah. blackouts. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, come on. Like we were, we were talking about this earlier. I mean, how do, how do I consume the game? It's easier for me to see games like in a, a Cardinals game or a Royals game than it is for people that live in the Midwest, you know, for a time, it was easier for me to see a Dodgers game than somebody lived in L.A. County. I mean, it's just, that just doesn't make sense. You know, it's, we always talk about how do we market the game. Well, first, we have to actually see the games. You know what I mean? Like, how are we, how are we going to market Radical it? concept. Yeah, like, how, how, how do we do this if I don't know who player X is? Because, you know, I, I just happen to be in this one area and I can't see the games. Like, they're, they're in people on Twitter or there are people on Twitter that told me that they live in certain corridors in the Midwest where they can't see like five or six teams. Like they basically can't see central teams from either league because of where they live. So that that's wiped out. What? Like 10 teams. I mean, that's ridiculous. That, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, get rid of the blackouts is come on. Yeah, that feels like an easy, like kind of low-hanging fruit. Like, obviously, baseball fans have a lot that they think is wrong with the game and oftentimes are right about that. But the blackouts thing is like universally, no matter where you lie on the spectrum, how you feel about baseball, it should be pretty easy for us to all get on the same page that, yeah, it'd be great for everyone to be able to watch this thing. I don't know, this that wouldn't that be cool? This this billion dollar industry, if everyone had access to it. The large contingent of TV executives that listen to this podcast are fuming right now. Alex, mm. come on, we got to please <laughs> yes. the regional TV executives. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, I I know why they exist, but right, the game is also the game in general. That brings up a good point. It's too regional. It's like it's regional for nostalgic reasons, but it's also regional for financial reasons and at some point we have to like get away from that you know like you were asking me how do i how do i consume these other games as that are not yankee related but it's also um why would you be (laughs) you know the way it's set up another question to ask is why would you even want to look at a team that isn't your favorite and that's like a fundamental question that we shouldn't be asking you know, yeah. like I should want to see the Padres, let's just say, or um, the Cubs or whoever, you know, just because the game's accessible to me because it's because I'm not always thinking about my my one team that's in my city. 
You know, and I think that that's a very major league baseball thing. Um, I don't think NFL fans, obviously there's gambling and fantasy involved, but at least have like a red zone type channel or, you know, some show where I know they had the whip around, but like red zone, there's so many things that you can take from different sports and apply it to baseball to make it more national and engaging to make it easier for you to market these players and say, you know, you can access baseball or you can access the major leagues. And a lot of times I feel like casual fans feel like they can't necessarily access the game. And a lot of that is on the league. You know, it's not just the game and how people might perceive it being boring or nothing's happening. Sometimes it's just the way that the league has set things up or has limited itself to bring in casual fans with solutions that feel very easy to present and execute. Yeah. No. You know, MLB TV, my subscription just renewed. And I I work in the industry, so I'm fortunate enough to get it expensed. I'm very privileged in that way. But if I'm a regular fan, I'm a Dodgers fan living in LA, or I'm a Mets fan living in New York, or I'm a Yankees fan living in New York, you're paying $137. Like, in the streaming era, where you're already probably paying close to that for all of the other shit that you're streaming, you're paying $137 more per year to watch only out-of-market games. That's that's an insane concept. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I might pay that if it meant that I could watch my team. You know, like, I, but we're probably limiting the amount of people who are going to pay for that to just the diehards. So just the diehards are able to see all these games. Like, that's that's not how you build support for a sport in a country. That It's just not a sustainable model. And you're doing it, like, solely because it, raises the value of these regional TV deals, which are the which ends up being the reason that these teams are so exorbitantly profitable. And then we we get into the whole we could start pulling yeah, yeah. the thread of what they do with those profits and how they pretend like they don't actually make them. Right. Yeah. I mean it's it has to be accessible. You know, and it's it's not just about marketing players, but the actual sport has to be accessible to people. And it has to have a larger vision to bring people in so that they can invest in it. You know, there's different ways to generate profit and doesn't always have to be rooted in these TV deals or these streaming deals. And I feel like now we can question if this is because the people in charge don't really care about the sport as much as we do, or they just have a lack of vision, but it feels like there are limited ways in which they view generating revenue for the sport that come at the expense of the popularity of the sport. And the two never meet in the middle, it feels like. And again, I don't, I don't want to accuse the commissioner of not loving the sport. I know that that's popular for people to say. It might very well be true. It feels like it's true, but I'm not going to like make that statement um, as a matter of fact. But Something it it just feels like they the two things like miss each other uh, and pass by one another and it there really shouldn't be a reason for that you know like I think you can accomplish both if you have a a larger vision of how to bring the two things together and it it just doesn't happen and it it feels like you know maybe it's because the owners that are coming in now this new generation of owners only see these these franchises as assets. Um, and don't look at them as like competitive portals 
you know, which I also think is like a major issue in the sport that things are just not viewed through a competitive lens anymore um, at the top. Um, and it just feels like as long as these boxes are checked in terms of how to generate revenue. So like the TV deals, streaming deals, real estate deals, all those things, as long as that's addressed and brings in uh, income or revenue, whatever, uh, then it doesn't matter. Everything else just doesn't matter. You know, like if, if there are some things that we can add that we think will make it better, cool. But if not, whatever, we'll like work on banning the shift in double A because we think that that's going to like <laughs> help things out. Uh, you know, we'll get some casual fans letting them know that we like we're going to ban the shift in a couple years. You know, it, it they just always it always there's a disconnect. I want to meet that person. The casual fan that started yeah. watching MLB games because in three years it's going to pay off that the shift is going to be banned. <laughs> right. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> so do I. I want to meet the diehard that thinks that. I don't, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. But yeah, get rid of the blackouts. Get rid of daylight savings time and get rid of blackouts. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's tough because when half the teams in the league aren't competitive, how do you... How do you generate that kind of national broad scale interest in the game, right? Like, like you met, you mentioned the Padres, for example, right? Who all of a sudden became a watchable team in the last couple of years because they brought up their young stars and paired them with established veterans that people wanted to watch. And all of a sudden, like people are going to watch Padres games this year, right? And it's like, they're the model of, of what happens when a team actually like puts their money where their mouth is, right? Like I can't think of a team that has in in the last you know decade or so that has had the public opinion on them like shift so radically, right? Where people went from being like, "Who the hell is going to be a Padres fan?" to like literally they are can't miss baseball, right? And, and like, they should be case A of why, of why every team wants to do that, right? And why there should be this kind of larger ethos among baseball owners to say, no, we're feeding into a larger system and trying to create... Wow, they're, they're just... <laughs> Is your building on fire? Yeah, what's happening? <laughs> I don't know! <laughs> <laughs> Randy's getting the I'm full also, tipping pitches experience right now. Yeah, right. I also live two blocks from a fire station, so like that's oh okay. Um, that that would be the good like, context and to like know four blocks you moved. from a from a hospital. So, oh wow, you have like a double whammy going on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> uh, well, while we're waiting for the sirens to stop, I just realized what shirt you're wearing, Alex. Yes, it is the Griffey one. Yeah, she got me. I noticed. I think that's that's part of the. Uh, Top 70 collection now. They they started reimagining that card, I think. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. I think I got the Bobby Hundreds one of that card. Oh, nice. Mm. Nice. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, awesome. Tops has a deal with Homage, the t-shirt company. Mm-hmm. So that's where I got that shirt for him for, uh, I don't know, for your birthday one year or something for Christmas. Yeah. I, don't know, I, get the, I just get him shirts. I just get him different. He has a Vada one. <laughs> nice. Nice. It's a good, easy. Yeah. Card. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, a, I was never like a baseball card collector, but I bought some of the, uh, you know, the, the, the different project capsules that Topps has had. And I definitely got the Griffey one. I got the uh, SMI Jackie Robinson um, card. 
So I've gotten a few of them. They're nice. I mean, that's one way to, you know, open up the game and, and be a part of culture. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's a, another thing that the game really should be focusing on. And it's just rooting itself more in culture, you know, and not just being this, having this perception of being like some stodgy old white game. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not. I think that that perception is wrong. I think that that's true of certain fan bases and certain um, demographics that tend to watch the game more, but the players don't reflect that at all. In my opinion, I mean, I don't, I don't see where the demographic or the perceived major demographic in the actual players, I don't see how that's connected. So I think doing things like what tops is doing and Tatis starting to get some, some big deals. You know, I think that all helps as well too, but you know, it should be, a shift in rooting itself in the culture more um, to help, to help the game expand a little bit. Uh, I think that hasn't happened enough. It happens with other leagues, but it doesn't happen with, with major league baseball enough. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I, I think it does a bad job of also kind of getting its stars, like after they retire, like keeping them engaged, you know, like, Ken, I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. is obviously like in the commissioner's office now, but dude should be on TV. If like, yeah. like literally the game's most fun player of all time, you should be able to like turn on TV and watch him, right? Like a, a sport like basketball is so much better at that. It, it, I think at keeping its stars kind of in the fold, even when they're not on the court. Mm-hmm. And like, like Ricky Henderson, I would like to watch him on MLB Network every single day. Because yeah. dude is a character. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know. It feels I, like, like those opportunities. No shade to Mark DeRosa. Or yeah, right? Like, 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 those, <laughs> but exactly, exactly, though. Those opportunities are reserved for the, the very, like, conservative. And I don't even, even mean conservative in a political lens, although sometimes it does line up. But, like, conservative in a personality perspective. Like, these guys that get on there are just like, yeah. The game is great because it's it's America's pastime. And it's like, okay, guys, like we need to move a little bit beyond just like the guy who loves the game because of all of the reasons we know why America is supposed to love baseball. Like, let's get the guy who loves the game because he wakes up in the morning and he's like, I'm so excited to watch Fernando Tatis tonight. You know, like like right. like yesterday, I'm not saying I'm not trying to pitch me and Alex for hosting a show on MLB Network right now. But yesterday, <laughs> I went back and I watched the recorded spring training game of the Padres because I wanted to see the first inning where Tatis got an infield single, went first to third on a different infield single, and then scored on a, a shallow sack fly that just got past shortstop. Like, I just wanted to watch that because... And I just don't... I don't see that energy all the time among like people who have national big spotlights like I, they they're excited about Tatis because he's good or whatever but they're not excited about Tatis because every kid in San Diego is gonna love Tatis for the rest of their life yeah like I don't want to see Mad Dog Russo yelling at me about baseball and like yeah, yeah really, you went there you went there I mean you're right yeah <laughs> I, I, I'll go there I mean I I grew up in New York I'm from the Bronx like we know about you know Mike and the Mad Dog and like all that crazy yelling at us and acting like an authority on everything because you like hung out around the game or whatever the justification is. Like I, I don't, I don't want to see mad dog like yelling at me for an hour, you know, with like these, these very boilerplate takes and like old school takes that, 
you know, just don't reflect what's going on in current times. Like, I don't, I don't want that. You know, like I know last year I started some like Twitter firestorm comparing Ken Griffey Jr. to Mike Trout, you know, and I purposely removed Griffey's cultural impacts from the conversation because then it gets muddled and, you know, but you know, for me, we should be having those conversations. It's like the NBA's version of MJ and, and LeBron. You know, like, let's have those conversations. Let's talk. Like, it's too easy to just say, oh, well, they're from different eras, so you can't really compare them. We know that already. But, like, let's do it anyway. Who cares? You know, like, let's, let's pay attention to it and, like, give homage to various great players of the past that aren't, like, Babe Ruth. You know what I'm saying? Or like Lou Gehrig. Like, we know that they're great. Like, they were amazing. But that was also a century ago. Like, we could do something that's a little bit more modern and not as romantic. You know, there's too much uh, traditional romanticism in baseball. And I think that we can we can get away from that from time to time and, and really get into it and say, is Ken Griffey Jr. or was Ken Griffey Jr. better than Mike Trout? Why? Why not? Like, we can have those silly, endless debates and have those characters more prominent in in our everyday baseball consumption and it and it feels like it just doesn't happen which is also weird because it's a traditional sport it's a ba- it's a sport based on its traditions and numbers and then there's like generations of players that we kind of just like skip over and I'm not really sure why and definitely Ricky's one of them I mean Ricky is wild so that would be great to see more of him but just across the board, yeah, like, I mean, I think that you bring up a great point that not a knock on Mark DeRosa, but somebody like Mark DeRosa, Sean Casey, you know, these reserved personalities. Uh, Sean Casey's, like, not reserved, but he's also, like, I, I won't use a word that I would like to use, but he's, <laughs> I don't engage with Sean Casey's, like, wackiness. You know what I mean? So it feels like there could be a diversity even in a personality's on the network and connected to the, to the league a little bit more to just show that there's like a larger personality and um, a range of personalities that, that makes it a great game or reminds people that it's a great game. That it's not this stodgy, boring sport. Well, and you bring up the, the MJ LeBron debate, right. And kind of wanting to kind of kickstart baseball's own version of that. And, and I love that comparison because at the end of the day, like, it's not even a question about who is better, MJ or LeBron, right? Like, there's never going to be an answer, like a day where everyone wakes up and just agrees that, you know, LeBron is better, whatever. Like, it, it's, about, it's, a, it's about the conversation that people are actually having, right? What exists between the lines? What makes a basketball player good, right? And I, And there's a part of me that wonders whether or not baseball's kind of statistical revolution undercut some of those conversations, right? Because it was so easy to say, well, just look at the numbers, right? Mike Trout's the best of all time. And there you go. And we're, you know, we'll, we'll clean up shop and we're done for the day, right? Whereas a lot of those nuances, when you don't know the answer to the question, makes things way more fun because you can get into superheater arguments with your with your buddies about who's the better player, about who's the better team, whatever, right? Um and and so I appreciate that you're <laughs> trying to bring some of that back. Let's talk Griffey versus Trout. Like, yeah, I'm like down. for me, it goes back to what I was saying about what I like to write about. And 
for me, like using the Griffey Trout example, when I brought when I said when I said that Griffey in his prime was a better player than Trout in his prime, people got really mad and they immediately and predictably just started throwing out all these like data points to me and saying that because X number evaluates X player as this, that means he's better. Then when I said, okay, well, we have to consider that when Ken Griffey Jr. played, on-base percentage wasn't valued. Lou Pinella told Ken Griffey Jr. to go knock in runs. You know, that was the mandate. You're the three-hitter. You have an old-school coach. I mean, and it's, it's documented even with Lou Pinella and Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill is a big guy, and he told Paul O'Neill to go hit home runs. Paul O'Neill was not that type of hitter, but Lou Pinella wanted him to be that hitter. Same thing with Griffey. Griffey's one of the greatest hitters. Go out and be that RBI machine. Go hit 50 home runs. That's your job. Not get on base to set it up for Edgar and Jay Buhner. It's, you're the man. If the mandate was on base percentage and, you know, take advantage of all those things, his numbers would, would basically equal Trout's. But people don't want to hear that because the number just said this. Like, there's no context to it. And then when it gets to things like defense, people definitely didn't want to have that conversation with me because heaven forbid I said that somebody was better at something in baseball than Mike Trout. And people, again, would just say, you know, well, the number says this. So that like negates the difference in defensive performance. And it's just like, what do you what? Like, can we just talk about baseball? Like, (laughs) let's have a baseball conversation, not like. I looked up fan grass for five minutes and like spewed all these numbers at you. And that's the end of the conversation. First of all, Mike Trout's defensive numbers in center field have not been good for like five straight years. Exactly. <laughs> but that's a different conversation. Yeah. And Griffey, exactly. Griffey obviously is maybe the greatest center field defender ever, but, and injuries derailed that later in his career and right. made it harder for him to continue on that same path to proving that statistically racking up the, longevity everything but i mean i love this conversation i love that specific comparison because it's like it's the guy right now versus like the guy in the 90s and i'll give this example too like when i just in how sanctimonious baseball fans are like when i when tatis was like really popping last year when he was must see tv every single game and he will be this year and he continues to be but like when we all started to realize it you know, we did an episode of Baseball Barbecue, which is a show that I produced for The Ringer. And I titled it, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is our Ken Griffey Jr. And people saw the title and they were like, fuck you. There's no way he's as good as Ken Griffey Jr. And I'm like, can we just, why is the default that you think I'm saying Fernando Tatis Jr. is a better player than Ken Griffey right. Jr.? If I'm saying he's our Ken Griffey Jr., it can mean a lot of things. Like, it can have a lot of nuance. He's the guy that we are gravitating towards he's the magnetic star who could be the face of the league and we're just on the cusp of that like there is way more conversation to be had there simply than like he's not as good of a hitter as ken griffey jr of course not of course not he's not yet he's only 23 like let's chill it's all right like we can enjoy this without having to undercut all of each other's arguments all the time right and i think alex you bring up a great point about losing nuance because we're too reliant upon numbers and I think Tatis is a great example of that because he's, he's going, he, if he's healthy and he stays on his path, he's transcendent. That doesn't mean he's better than X player. He's transcendent. He's something larger than his performance. So 
So comparing him to Ken Griffey Jr. makes total sense because Griffey was transcendent. You know, like he just, he transformed the game in that era. Like I'm old enough to remember when people were really mad at him for wearing his hat backwards. Like this was a, a very prominent conversation at the time and that he was really disrespecting the purity of baseball by wearing his hat backwards. There will probably be a moment with Tatis where he does something and that conversation is going to come up, which tells you all you need to know that he's growing into something that expands beyond the game, which is what you want. You know, like he's a brown skinned Dominican kid with blonde locks. Like, I'm sure somebody's mad that like, that's what he looks like. You know what I mean? And like, I'm sure he's going to do something that's going to like cause a firestorm like with Griffey in the back of his hat. But to me, it just shows that he's he's reaching a point where, not that he's bigger than the game, like I don't use, you know, not to use that cliche because that's not true, but that he's transcending it, that, you know, he can, he can get beyond the borders of the game and impact other people. And again, going back to this idea of, of culture, he can be a cultural piece that helps the sport out and helps the league out. And, People need to get out of the box of numbers to just evaluate a player's impact. Like all of these things matter. Like sports go beyond what happens on the field. You know, they're a reflection of society Mm -hmm. and can do a lot of great things for society. And when you have a player like Tatis who can help lead that and however he wants to do it, if he chooses to do it, then we have to give him the space to do so and not just say, well, you know, his F war says he's not better than Ken Griffey. Like who, who, who cares? Like, that's not the point. I feel like, I feel like on this podcast we've swung like, because I, you know, we both like believe in sabermetrics to a degree and like understand their value in evaluating players, but we've swung so far like to the left on that, where we're like past the point of sabermetrics carrying, you know, it's almost yeah. like horseshoe th- theory where we've <laughs> yeah. like gone so far around that like we're back to where the old heads, baseball heads started where it's yeah. like, no numbers don't matter. Look at the field. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay. I kind of, I got to get where they were coming from now. It depends. Yeah. But the old, like the old head, it depends what version of that old argument you want to argue right. against. Like, right. because we, we're pro sabermetrics in the way and randy i feel like you are as well like we're pro sabermetrics yeah, yeah. in the way that like we don't think that you should bunt to move the guy over with your three-hole hitter just because like right. that's what they did in 1924 but like right. we're anti-sabermetrics not oh i don't that's a bad line to say but like we're not arguing for sabermetrics to completely strip the game of its joy and i don't feel like anyone is so it, sometimes i i feel like we're arguing. I think no. I think some people. In that way? I know. I think some people are. You think so? I mean, just yeah, yeah. Like in the way, in in conversations that I have with people, yes, I think that some people look. Th- this might come across the wrong way, and I, I I truly don't want this to come across the wrong way. But I feel like sabermetrics and analytics have allowed people to really get engaged with the game in a way that you couldn't have done it before they were public and available that makes people feel like they're an authority on something more so than before. And I think that some people have truly used it as a way to, to justify and validate their viewpoints on the game, which is totally fine. 
but it's too, for some people, it's too rigid and it's, it's too um, defined and doesn't allow for the things that we're talking about to take place. Like, you can't tell me that defense doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And I, I think that there are a lot of people that look at numbers and, of course, you can, it's easier to quantify offense than it is defense for many reasons. But just because that's true doesn't mean that the value of defense and base running isn't still high just because you can go to fan graphs or, you know, uh, baseball reference and pick up some numbers and then like, tell me about it. So I think that for some, and I don't, I think they're in the minority, but I do think some people have taken that on as a way to be really engaged with the game and have locked themselves into a viewpoint that doesn't go beyond what allows them to be closer to the game. And I don't want to, the reason why I don't want to come across like this, this is a bad thing is because I think we as fans should have the space to engage with the game, however we want and however we choose to. So I'm not saying this in a um, arrogant or um, looking down upon somebody because that's not my place. Like enjoy the game, how you want to enjoy it. But when you're having conversations with people that aren't just strictly about, you know, somebody's analytical performance, I think that there needs to be space to incorporate these other things. And some people just either can't or won't do it. Yeah. And a a lot of the times front offices validate those people like front offices make decisions that are like cold, hard calculated. You are not putting up numbers anymore. We're going to let you walk in free agency, despite the fact that you should never wear a different jersey than this one like that they make those decisions like they make it okay for you to to think that way about the game because everybody those i would venture to guess that a lot of those people see themselves in gms yes yes right exactly and that's what i was trying to get at you know that playing gm is a great way to feel like you're closer to the game because we're obviously not professional athletes we're not playing the game at that level but we can think things through and, and construct rosters and, you know, uh, come to conclusions based off of available information like a Brian Cashman or Andrew Friedman or whoever, an AJ Preller, and then arrive at these conclusions, which is great. I mean, I, I think there are more positives to it than negatives, but I think the downside is that we get so caught up in it that we, or not we, not the people here, but some people forget that this is a game with like human beings and like chance and random things. And again, sports is larger than just on-field performance and that all of these things really matter. And Griffey's cultural impact really matters. Tatis's potential cultural impact really matters. And that also factors into decision-making or at least it should. Um, And it's not just, you know, hard hit percentage or something. Even though his hard hit percentage is phenomenal. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, he's great. I mean, I have a Tatis jersey. I mean, I love Tatis. Like, he's, he's amazing. That team is amazing. You know, I hope them and the Dodgers have, like, a Red Sox-Yankees level rivalry. I mean, that's what I want. But again, yeah. that's like, that's not to do with analytics. I want them to dislike each other. <laughs> I want them to, like, have a brawl. I want them to, like... Go at it. You know, when Manny Machado and Max Muncy were yelling at each other in the playoffs last year, you know, 
And I forgot the picture when he like threw his hat off and like started yelling at them. I started yelling at the Padres when uh, Bellinger made that catch. I want all of that. That's yeah. what I want. I think that was Gratterall, right? Bristar Gratterall. Gratterall, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. yeah, give me more of that. That's what I want. Like, that's, that's what baseball should be. When I play softball, it gets intense. You know, <laughs> we're just playing for a little bit of money, you know. But it gets intense. People get, get into it. Like, that's what I want to see. I want bad blood. You know, I want, I want energy. I want all of that. Like, let's show the competitive side of the, of the game. You know, that's yeah. what we want. Hell yeah. Uh, Randy, thank you so much for, for doing this. Um, we want to give you space to plug um, your work. Where can we, where can we our, our listeners find you? Um, where can our listeners check out your work on Twitter, wherever it might be? And also if there are any other you know, changes you want to get off your chest, this is your, this is your chance. Aram, Aram right now. If you want, if you want to include a softball sized baseball, <laughs> like let's let's go. Let's do it. I think we should ban all breaking balls. <laughs> you know, so we get rid of the strikeouts. Yeah. <laughs> uh no, 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 I don't know. Uh make major league baseball coach pitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like be like T ball. Like here's a little <laughs> here's a little uh underhanded toss for you to hit the ball like six hundred feet. Um now you can find me on Twitter at Pam Sun, P-A-M-S-S-O-N. Uh my website where my work is pamsun.com. You can follow us if you're a Yankees fan on Twitter at views from 314 feet. And you can also read our Yankee stuff at views from 314 feet.com. We also have a podcast, not as big time as tipping pitches, but you know, we're working on it. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where you can find me. I have a, at some point soon, there'll, there'll be an announcement for my next project. I can't, there I can't do it, but uh, yeah, you can find most of my work in my website and um yeah, I appreciate being on here. I'm, I'm a big fan of you guys. Big fan of the show. Big fan of uh, baseball barbecue, of course. <laughs> and uh, very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on, Randy. Appreciate it. And uh, all the links to that stuff will be in the description for everyone. While you see it your way Run the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone We can work it out We can work it out Okay, thank you to Randy Wilkins. Go check out Views from 314 Feet uh, if you are looking for more of Randy. They also have a podcast. Um, Alex. Thank you thank you to the the firefighters hyping up our, our conversation. I really appreciated that. If I had an air horn, a siren that I could have put off in the middle of our conversation, I probably would have done it. So I appreciate that they, they covered that for us. It was to really signal the urgency with which we need to change the game. You know, it's right. an it's an emergency. Stuff is getting bad. We gotta yeah. gotta figure it out. That's called symbolism, bro. <laughs> Ever heard of that? Situational irony. That's what that was. We're in cahoots <laughs> with the FDNY. <laughs> um, if we had to be in cahoots with one of the the DNYs, F is the one, right? <laughs> Not, not P. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we've completely lost the thread. Thank you for listening to this week's Tipping Pitches. If you like what you heard, make sure you're subscribed and make sure you're following us. Tipping underscore pitches. We didn't do any voicemails this week for open season. We will be bringing that back next week, but we had a pretty com- long conversation with Randy, so we wanted to keep it as tight as possible, even though this is still pretty long. Um, the number is 785-422-5881. 
where you can call into this podcast, leave a voicemail about something you're mad about with your team, something you like about with your team. You hate your owner. You love your owner. You can call in and say that. I can't promise that Alex will be nice to you if you love the billionaire who owns your baseball team. But if it's Steve Cohen, I might be nice to you. We'll see. Um, 785-422-5881 for open season. Uh, anything else, Alex? We got one more of these season preview pods. Yeah, I was just going to say, we're, we got a fun one coming up next week. These have all been great. So um, tune in next week for the, for the coda to this, to this series. Gift draft coming up later this month before the season starts. We're, we're really looking forward to that. And we're really looking forward to next week. everybody uh, i'm alex rodriguez tipping pitches this is the one that i love the most so we'll see you next week see ya there's a chance that we might fall apart before too long we can work it out we can work it out